opportunity we get to bless children. And uh, I was just speaking with one of the family members of the, some of our teens. And uh, even though this has been a terrible season in so many ways, isolation and insulation, and um, God's been working, especially in the hearts and lives of some of our young people. So praise God. The uh, last weekend, one of our grandmas was taking her granddaughter home and just asked the question like, well, what'd you get out of tonight? Or how's it, how's it going? And she kind of just volunteered. She said, Grandma, I want to get baptized on Easter. It's like, whoa, some, yeah, some neat progress, you know, going on. One of our young fellas uh, had said to me at a potluck, uh, actually it was a potluck after Danny's baptism. And, uh, you know, our young guy said, I want to get baptized on Easter. He's like, not a bad idea. And his mom had him actually write a letter to himself. He's in the process of writing a, a letter to the older me. So it'll, be a, it'll actually be something he reads later to the younger me, you know, that says, here's what I'm thinking about baptism. He's going to tuck it in his Bible and look at it over the years because he's just entering into the teen. He's not even in the teen years yet. Um, so he's young. But, um, you know, it's just great to see spiritual progress in the lives, especially of our young people. And to see that maybe this disastrous year has a bright spot spiritually in the lives of people. In fact, that's what that one uh, grandma said to me. She said, you know, I think God did it, allowed it for reasons like this, for that very purpose. Yeah. But what does God allow and what does God use? You know, that's what we're talking about. We've been spending week after week after week, looking at face-to-face encounters of people with the Lord Jesus. We've been looking at those people that Jesus called as disciples. We've been looking at people that Jesus worked with and met and, and, and encouraged. We're looking at people that God used Jesus Christ to heal and to bless, lepers and those that were in need. Today, we're specifically looking at Peter the apostle's mother-in-law and the healing that happened in her life. A real small passage repeated in a couple of the gospels, three of the gospels, but uh, something we can learn some fun lessons out of. And we'll do our last uh, clip uh, for this morning from The the Chosen. Have you guys been enjoying that? Has that been fun? How many of you have seen the whole series? Okay, majority now. I think when we started, I, I did that, and there were like three or four people, and now it's, uh, and it's not that that's the, 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 the end-all, be-all, but it's such a great tool, and I just encourage you, uh, use it as a tool. Use it as a tool in your families. Use it as a tool, especially with young people. If you have any children in your life, view ch- um, episode number three together with them and talk to them about Jesus' love for children. Um, it's just an amazing opportunity that we have for that. So if you've got your Bibles with you, uh, I want to look specifically at Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 31, and um, jump into that. We're talking about face-to-face, and I've actually called it Peter's mother in love, <laughs> mother in love, and I guess that started when I got married. Um, I just didn't feel like my mother-in-law was my mother-in-law. She just seemed like my mother because of love. And so I repeated that, and it just kind of stuck, you know. So there was a period of time when, um, when 
Lydia and I were at a, a kind of two different college campuses, and she had other options, you know, as far as not staying with me or me. And her mother, my mother-in-law, stepped in and convinced her that I was her best choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here I was in Seattle. Lydia was down in Eugene. And uh, Lydia had, you know, multiple options like we all do at 19, 18 years old. She was just 18. And uh, her mom convinced her that my, I was the best option. And she ended up coming up to Seattle and going to college there. And we got married that next uh, September. Um, and so, you know, I, I owe a lot to my mother-in-law. I'm not even going to tell any mother-in-law jokes today. Although someone said something about, you know why Peter denied Jesus three times? Because Jesus healed his mother-in-law. Oh, that's bad, isn't it? Isn't it? That'd be the only one, you know? <laughs> you know I don't know how mother-in-laws get such a bad rap because they are precious. We lost, uh, my mother-in-law went home to be with Christ and uh, we miss her greatly. She was like a mother to, uh, to me as well. So let's take some time and talk about Peter's mother in love. We don't know a ton about her, but this kind of teeny little window into her life tells us a lot and tells us a lot about Jesus, tells us a lot about the power, the compassion, the love of Christ. So I want to dig into it for that reason and spend some time thinking about it. Now, this particular event is covered both in Mark, where we're going to look most, but it's also covered in Matthew and in Luke. It's in Luke chapter 4 and it's in Matthew chapter 8. And each one, of us, each one of those events tells us a little bit different story. Not, not anything contradictory with each other, but one brings out a few nuances that the others don't. So I'll be mentioning that you know, kind of as we go. Some people call it a triple tradition. When it's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three, it's kind of a triple benefit. Now there's 37 healing ministry miracles in the Bible and 30 of them are in all three, uh, are, in, are in the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. 12 of those 30 are in all three. This is one of those. This is one of those that's covered by Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We learned something different from each one of them. You know, uh, there's other biblical examples like Naomi and Ruth, a mother-in-law situation that God uses in a an amazing way. Let's jump into this passage this morning. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went to James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her by the hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. We'll tear this apart a little bit, but I just kind of want to think with you for a few moments about Jesus being in Peter's house. Now, you might think of Jesus out on the countryside. You know, in fact, right before this, he had preached a three-chapter sermon, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. You know, just before this, he'd been out in the countryside. Just before this, immediately, where had he been? In the synagogue, which was right next door basically, to Peter's house. He'd been in other places, but think about in your home. Think about Jesus being in the home. In fact, I think uh, <laughs> Jesus, um, 
loves to be as intimate and close as possible. So the place where we relax, the place where we let our hair down, the place where we connect with one another is the place where Jesus loves to be, where Jesus wants to abide. Now, it's really interesting. When Jesus called Peter and Andrew, the Bible says they were from Bethsaida, the village of fish. They were fishermen, and they were from Bethsaida. But the Bible says that Peter declares, he said, we've left homes and we've left our, our houses behind. And then it shows up that Peter is in a home, his home, in Capernaum. And it almost appears to most scholars that he sold or left his home in Bethsaida and centered his home where the center of the ministry of Jesus was. Capernaum was ground zero for Jesus's Galilean ministry. It was the heart of the ministry. And it appears that that proximity was so important to Peter that he actually found a place, got a place, or got a place with his uh, wife's folks in Capernaum. And I just think about that sometimes. Sometimes we have reasons for moving to a certain area. You know, uh, some friends of ours down in Florida are building a house. And one thing they said to me was, it's right next to the church. It's really close to the church. It's like, now they're thinking, why not pick a place, not because of population, not because of home values, not be but because of ministry. <laughs> it seems like that's what Peter did, that his selection of a domicile had direct connection with the kingdom of God and how Christ could use his house as a center of ministry. Do you see your house as a center of ministry? Do you open your facility for the kingdom of God to use your place? Do you even think that way? Now, right now, there's a lot of people that are conservative saying, I'm moving out of this state. I got to get out of this blue state to a red state, you know, or I've got to go to Texas or I got to go to Florida, got to go somewhere. And I keep thinking, now, wait, 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 wait. If you were in Texas or Florida and I was pastoring you, I would say, you need to go to the place where you are needed the most, whether it's blue, red, purple, or who cares about that, but where is the gospel needed the most? And you know what most people will tell you? It's not in the Bible Belt. It's not in the Deep South. Most people would tell you it's in the Northwest and the Northeast. It's the least churched areas. It's the least Christ-exalting areas. You, you need to be missionaries where you're at, you know? And, and look at your house, look at your home, not as just a facility, but a facility that can be used by the kingdom of God. Maybe it's designed to, to host a home group. One of our friends, they built their house, went to the architect with this in mind. We want to have home group here, and here's where we need the kids, and here's where we need the adults. And they built their house specifically for a home group. <laughs> it's like, now you're thinking like Peter. Now you're thinking like Peter and this specific house that he had. Now, and part of this I just want you to think about is Jesus wants us all the time. He doesn't like it when we have a Sunday-only relationship with him. He wants to be 24-7, <laughs> anywhere, always, all the time. And that's where we dwell. That's where we 
live. Now, you'll notice this was at the end of a Sabbath day. So the Sabbath was over. Jesus has just done a couple of other miracles. He has um, already done a couple of um, miraculous things. He let, healed the leper. You remember we kind of saw the leper being healed? He healed the centurion's servant. Now, in a way, you know, the lepers, they were like outcasts. You couldn't touch them. You, they had to shout unclean. The servant of a centurion, those were kind of the hated folks from their time. That was the, the Roman uh, occupiers. And now this woman, you know, in the Jewish men's culture, three things they didn't like. In fact, they woke up every morning and prayed a Thanksgiving prayer. I thank you that I'm not a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. <laughs> that's a terrible prayer, but that's what they used to pray, okay? I thank God I'm not a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. And Jesus had just purposefully identified with all three of those. He had healed a leper, you know? He had healed a servant, the servant of the Gentile, and now he was healing a woman. He heals his mother-in-law and takes her. You know, see, Jesus, in fact, the centurion, think about this for a minute. The centurion said, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. But he goes underneath the fisherman's roof. Now, I'm not thinking about this, but I'm, I'm thinking just about the commonness of Jesus's outreach. He isn't just reaching the elite like our society, you know, we think about the beautiful people, the wealthy people, the famous people. We have this criterion for people that matter. What did Jesus do? Just the opposite. A lowly leper, a mother-in-law in bed with a fever. He picked average, day-to-day -day normal. That's what sticks out to you is the normalcy of the people that Jesus ministered to. Don't let this world's design of who's important flow off into your mind or your heart. Every person, remember we said that last week? Every person, it could be a Samaritan woman. It could be someone from a different race. It doesn't matter. God, Christ, loves all and wants to take some time for that. Think about these things. Jot this down if you would. Well, let's see. I want to show you this picture first. This is a current picture of Capernaum. And you'll notice this kind of dome-like building. That's actually a Roman Catholic um, chapel kind of built over where Peter's house is. They still have the archaeological footprint of Peter's house in Capernaum. And they've built this uh, kind of uh, chapel over it. This is the synagogue of the first century. You see how close those are? I mean, he basically walked out of one door where he'd been teaching and ministering and healing in the, in the synagogue and walked into Peter's, Peter's house, Peter's place that was there. Um, you'll see that beautiful set, setting there, the Sea of Galilee. This, where the, this was like the Mecca for fishermen. This was like the, the spot in Galilee that was just gorgeous. And this was the ministry center for, um, for Jesus as he, as he ministered. 
Let's think about this woman for a minute and think about what the scripture says about her condition. Her condition. Because the, the scripture points out it was Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. More likely than not, it was something we would say malaria. It was very common back then. It's real common, even, even today in that place. It was likely that, you know, the uh, Dr. Luke, Luke was a doctor, and he writes about this. He calls it a great fever. And the word he uses is an extreme fever. It'd be the kind of fever where you say, this person's gone comatose. This person is not going to make it. This fever, this infection is going to take their life. Now, they didn't have antibiotics. You know, for us, a fever, pop a pill. You know, we've got, it, we've got the, the treatment down, so to speak. You know, they didn't have that. They didn't have any of that. They either waited it out or, in this case, saw the Lord jump in. In, in Luke's case, he would say, burning up with fever. She was... Uh, burning up with fever. I want to pause just for a little bit to talk about why. Why does sickness happen? What are the causes? What are the conditions? What are the reasons behind illnesses and what takes, takes place? A um, couple of things. Scripture says illnesses at times can be used by God to bring glory to him. Remember when Lazarus got sick and what had happened? He died. And Jesus says, this illness, this sickness, even this death has come for a reason, that God might get glory. Now you say, well, that's easy because he's, he's raising him from the dead. <laughs> you know, that's pretty, pretty, pretty easy one. But note to self, God can use your testimony about an illness that he heals to glorify him the same way that Lazarus did. In fact, we've got examples where the doctor said there is absolutely no hope. They're gone. And God, through his miraculous power, his healing touch, heals someone. How many of you witnessed that before? Seeing God at work at that level. Yeah. And we need to, we need to do what, he's, what it says to do is bring glory to him for that. Glorify him in that. Um, Sometimes illness happens, the Bible says, because of the evil one, because of his minions, because of demons and demonic activity. That's one of the, I mean, think for a moment about um, Job's affliction. I mean, there was a direct satanic demonic connection. His boils covering his entire body were directly related to Satan and God's spiritual warfare taking place. So there's things we'll never know exactly why or how. That's one of them. It's one of the reasons behind it. The Bible talks about those that were in Corinth that were sick and some were dying. And Paul specifically equates that to some lack of obedience, some lack of um, uh, integrity in the congregation and in their lives. And, you know, you kind of get this idea that um, you don't take communion lightly. You know, you don't, you don't take the fellowship of believers. What was happening was they would, seclude, they would exclude others from the potluck meal. They would say, you guys have your bread and water. We're getting our filet mignon over here. 
And then they'd come together and say, well, let's have communion. And Paul says, that's why you guys are having some sickness in your midst. There's some discipline of illness going on. Wake up. Wake up. A specific sin could cause that. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul talks about Epaphrodites. Epaphrodites. And it says he almost died. You know why? Overexertion. Overwork. Does that make a hint to anybody? <laughs> you can overdo any good thing, even work. We're not to be lazy, but we're not to be overworked. And in this case, Epaphrodite, God spared him, the Bible says, for your sake. God didn't allow him to die because of overwork. So the big broad one, this covers it all. Sin is in the world. When sin entered the world, sickness, disease, sorrow, grief, death entered the world. We have, that, we have sickness because sin is in our midst. Sin is, that's why we say, well, you're not made for this world. You are made for heaven. You are made for someplace else where there is no sorrow. There is no sickness. There is no disease. You don't need doctors in heaven. I know that disappoints a lot of physicians. But, you know, they don't need preachers either. Everybody's going to know the Lord. You know? Amen. So it's a consequence, we would say, of the fall. A consequence of sin entering the world. That's the broad one. I mean, you can say that for any and all. Even if there's not a specific sin, sin in the world is the reason. Now, one more that pops out on this one, because the, the, the result of this mother-in-law being healed is that she serves. <laughs> so I say, so we can serve. You know, Illness can happen, and it can cause us to be so thankful when we're healed that service kicks in in a brand new way. That's the, uh, the idea there. So Paul's on the island of Malta, and he's building a fire, and a viper latches onto his arm. And it's the kind of viper where everybody goes, oh, he's toast. They all stand back and go, a couple more minutes, and he's a goner, you know? And because of his faith, because of God's working with him, because of God's miraculous power, the Bible says, he not only doesn't die, but he begins to instruct them on how to have a relationship with God. I, I see that in the same category. Paul is able, because of his, uh, God's healing power, to testify to them. In a, in a, they paid a little bit different attention after the viper bite, you know? And uh, the whole island comes to know Jesus, comes to know Christ uh, because of that. So, um, you know, Jesus sees you when you're suffering. Jesus sees you when you're sick. Jesus knows our frailties. The Bible says he was tempted in every way like we are. And he dealt, his nickname for himself, you know, he says, a man of sorrows, afflicted often. He knows what it means humanly to deal with that. And he sees, Matthew points it out this way. He says, Jesus saw her need. Jesus saw her need. You know that uh, Jehovah Roy, Roy, 
the God who sees. You know? uh, the Chosen movie points that out as even about Mary. I mean, about uh, Peter's wife, Eden, in the movie, in, in the series. He says, you saw it first. Yes. Like, what? You saw what was in Peter. Yeah. And then he says, don't think that I don't see you. Don't think that I don't see you here domestically helping while your husband is out ministering and doing big upfront things. You know? He is the God who sees. And to prove it, he sees Peter's mother-in-law in bed in a back room. It is not the, the, the crowd. There's not very many people to see it, but he sees it. And I want you to hear that today, wherever you're at. The things you're fighting, the addictions you're overcoming, the challenges that you've got in front of you, Jesus is not oblivious to those. He sees, he knows, he hurts, and he heals. He will help. He steps into that situation. She is not invisible. Even though she's not famous, she has no, nothing from notoriety. We don't even know her name. Think about that for a minute. We never even hear about her name. Names are a big deal in the Bible. So she's, she's that unfamous. She's titled only. Peter's mother-in-law. Ima. Yeah. But Jesus sees her. Jesus sees her. And Jesus sees us. Well, let's move to uh, Jesus' heart for a minute. He doesn't just see her. He steps in. He has the power. He has the ability. And the Bible says they immediately told Jesus about her. Why'd they tell Jesus about her? They'd seen what he could do. They saw the leper be healed before their eyes. They saw the lame man get up and walk. They saw the Phoenician um, woman healed, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he what? He went to her. He went to her. Now that should begin to help us think about some techniques a little bit, because showing love, showing compassion, a lot of times has to do with showing up. You hear me there? Showing compassion often has to do with showing up, being there for people. Jesus is so full of love that he immediately, it's a great word, isn't it? Immediately. I think it's Mark's, Mark, the gospel of Mark's favorite word. Immediately, immediately, immediately. Jesus did this, this, and this. Immediately. And you think about that, the urgency that's in Jesus's heart. There's to tell him, and then he in going. Jesus loves to take your average, everyday, normal person and love them. He makes the first move. You know that, right? Jesus always makes the first move. You can't outgive him. You can't outsmart him. And you can't outmove him. He's moving before you even get here. The Bible says he did not come to be served, but to serve. Now, it's going to end up at the end of this healing that she's trying to serve him. She's serving him. But he didn't come for that reason. He came to serve. She's served first, and then she becomes the server. Jesus' compassion is to give his life. Look at that. 
to give his life a ransom for many. That's his big purpose. By the way, every person Jesus heals gets sick again, dies. None of them are still around. Think about that for a minute. Every physical healing Jesus did was temporary, but every ransom he provides is permanent, is forever. It's eternal. And ultimately, that's what Jesus did. In fact, at the end of this, he's, he says, we're going off to preach the gospel because that's what I came here for. I didn't just come here. <laughs> what happens is the whole town of Capernaum comes to Peter's door. I mean, you saw that picture a little bit ago. They, they line up and they say, where's Jesus? This is early in the morning, the next day. And he's gone. He's not there. And they're like, we don't know where he went. And they end up finding him out communing with his father, out having a quiet time, we would say, out personally devoting himself to a relationship with God. And they're like, Lord, you got to come back. We've got this healing ministry at our door. We got the whole town there. And he said, no, we're going on. We're moving from here because I came to preach the gospel. I came to tell people the good news, not just, not just to show compassion on their physical bodies. Physical bodies have a temporary option to show compassion. Souls, spirits, hearts of people are what last forever. Put your attention there, <laughs> not just on that. Now, the thing Jesus did so well was use the physical touch to get to the heart. Use the physical love and for us, it's physical love and prayer. Now, they kept coming to Jesus and asking for his compassion. I just list these up there. You know, when Jesus healed the demon-possessed man, the Gadarene, he said, uh, don't, don't come and follow me. He said, I want you to go home and to tell your family the mercy of God that was on your life. Because now you've gone from being demon-possessed to being in your right mind. You know? People would come up to Jesus and they'd say, like blind Bartimaeus, Lord, have mercy on me. And that's what Jesus did. He showed ministry of mercy. The Syrophoenician woman, the epileptic boy, showed mercy. And I put the cross up there because Peter, whose mother-in-law he healed, he talked a lot about mercy. He was so grateful. He said, in his great mercy, he has given us New birth and a living hope. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Titus said, He saved us not on the basis of things that we had done, but by His mercy. Healing and salvation are on one basis the mercy of Christ, the mercy of God. Ephesians 2 4 it says, He's rich, rich in mercy. I mean, He's not just powerful in healing, He's rich in mercy. You ever thought about this? Jesus makes house calls. <laughs> yeah, he's there in the home showing mercy to Peter, to Peter's wife, and to Peter's mother-in-law. Jesus makes house calls. Let me go through one other thing here and show some techniques of healing, how Jesus so he went to her, he took her by the hand, and he helped her up. Let's break that down a little bit more. Um, 
I want you to think about it this way. It's through his presence. He is physically in the room. He's present. He saw and he moved. He ministered. He came with the ministry of presence. You know, sometimes that's all you get. You know, you and I don't always get to see the healing, but we can always give our presence. That's what's been interrupted in this last year. You know, hospital calls, virtually non-existent. You know, taking time to be with um, with people. For my um, chaplain ministry, it's a ministry of presence. You show up. You get a call at two in the morning, and it's like, can you go? Yes or no? My presence. And sometimes all you're doing is being present and providing an option for people in terms of prayer. The ministry of presence is huge. And it's something everyone can do. I don't think it's a spiritual gift that only a few have. Every one of us can show up. Jesus showed up. It's his presence. Close to that is his proximity. He, the Bible says, stood over her. He stood over her. There was a physical proximity. Don't underestimate that. The opportunity to be with her. There was, in a way, it's a visual tenderness to be present and to have proximity. If somebody asks you to pray for them, don't just say, oh, I will. Click. Say, I'd like to be there to pray with you. If at all possible, can I pray over you? You know, that's the New Testament model. Call for the elders and have them pray over you. Um, Jesus, he rebukes the fever. Catch that? That's his power. He has, you know, what I mentioned earlier, sin, death, sorrow, demons. You know, you have all these sources Who's more powerful than all of them? Who beat death? We sing about that. Yeah, it is through his power. And he rebukes, Luke says. It's interesting, Luke brings out a couple of things that the others don't in terms of, because Luke's got a doctor's viewpoint. <laughs> you know, But he's really bringing up something that's pretty non-medical, rebuking a fever. Isn't that interesting? Of course, he reaches out and he touches her hand. Remember, he did that with the uh, leper? He didn't have to do that. In fact, he shouldn't have done that with the leper. He shouldn't have done that here. A sick person, you don't reach out and touch them. Why? You might get unclean yourself. You become unclean yourself. But Jesus, through his compassion, through his passion, I say, he reaches out and he touches her. So there's a combination of presence, proximity, his power flowing through his uh, passion here. And his purpose shows. What does he do? He took her hand and he lifted her up. Now that's both figurative and literal. He literally picks her up, lifts her up, and he figuratively picks her up, Mark says. That's his purpose 
Remember the woman who touched Jesus' garment? Just his garment, and she was healed. You know, Just his shadow could heal. But he reached out. He took her hand. He touched her, and he lifted her up. Let's think for a minute about the cure, and we'll, we'll uh, use this time to see a f- few-minute clip of Jesus healing her. Because the Bible says in the cure, the fever, what? Left her. Immediately, you like that word? The fever was gone. Take a look at this real quick. Where is Simon? Can't he build us a fire? He's away. (laughs) Fishing? No, something else. (coughs) Lie still. usually aren't. Can I get you something warm to drink? I was just stoking the fire. You saw it first, you know. What do you mean? What I see in Simon. You were the first person to notice when no one else did. That connects us. My mother said I was drawn to his wildness and that I would regret it. (laughs) I wonder what she will say now. We're uh, going into town to sell these nets. We'll be right back. Stay here a moment, Simon. I just want to leave some extra money behind for Eden and Emma while I'm away. Put your nets down and go sit with your mother-in-law. and leave things behind in order to follow me. You are one flesh with Simon. He cannot make sacrifices that are not also yours. You have a role to play in all of this. Do I? You will know in time. I can't make everything about this easier for you. That wouldn't be our people's way. <laughs> no, it has not been. Nor will it continue to be. But I see you. You understand? I know it is not easy to be at home when your husband is out doing all of this. Even when you are excited about it and proud of him. So, I wouldn't ask you to do this without taking care of a few things. You mean... 
Plus, normal Simon is difficult enough. You think I want to travel with a worried Simon? This is Jesus of Nazareth. You've never met him before. Welcome to my son-in-law's home. Thank you. What am I doing lying here? You had a terrible fever. And all of you staring down. Dasha, don't. No one move. I'll be right back with some drinks. And Coming. Yes, I love goat cheese. I should yeah, see about the um, goat cheese. <laughs> Thank you. Me? For what? <laughs> For obeying and following him. Was good, huh? Yeah, what a portrayal. The cure. You see, Jesus' mission was that everyone would receive ultimate healing. This is a picture of temporary healing, but his mission was that all would receive him. What does it say in the scriptures about, about Christ's healing today? You know, Christ isn't physically present like he was then. So how does he take care of us today? If you know the passage, James chapter 5, verses 14 through 18, says, Is anyone among you sick? Then you must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore that one who is sick. And the Lord will what? Raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they'll be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. 
You know, we don't get called on enough, but that's our uh, practice around here, is to anoint with oil, to pray over someone. Oil represents a couple of things. One, oil was the representation that we're getting ready for work. They would anoint themselves with oil, almost like a, a, a chaff preventer, a sunburn preventer. They get ready for work. When you pray for someone and you're expecting them to get up and go to work, you anoint them with oil. There's also the symbolic part. Kings, princes, leaders were anointed with oil to set them apart, to prepare them for what they were to, to, to do. And so we're told as elders, as leaders, as prayers. And, and I, I extend that to the body broadly. We should be praying with and for one another. That's why we take time every week to put on the back of our handout prayer requests, people that we've asked been asked to, to pray for. The power of prayer is the extension of the mercy ministry of Jesus. People feel the love of Christ when you pray for them. That's why God says to pray for one another, touch one another through prayer. Let me, let me deal with one more. I know we're out of time. Let me talk to the amazing ending to this miracle. The amazing ending to this miracle is she gets up, and what's she do in the video? Starts serving them. Starts serving them. She began to wait on them. The idea here is that... Uh, it's the idea of waiting tables. It's the idea of serving food. It's the idea of hospitality. And it's kind of maybe a, a stereotypical Jewish woman, you know, come and eat. Have something to eat. You look skinny. You're, you're, you're wasting away. Have a meal. You know, how many of your mother-in-laws treat you that way? Maybe your mothers, you know, um, because that's something tangible that everybody can identify with. And she jumps in. She is the... Uh, healed one, and she becomes the server. You know, she serves the server. The healed one serves the server. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to give my life. Um, Jesus said, if you give a cup of cold water in my name, you've done it for me. You have to, he takes it personally. Think about food and all this that she's doing here. Jesus said, if you treat one of my little ones poorly, it'd be better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and be thrown into the sea. Think of the opposite of that. If you take care of little ones, if you're hospitable to little ones, if you serve, you're going to uh, be a huge blessing, just the opposite of harming them. You know, kids are so drawn to the, to the uh, mother in the home. You know, they say sometimes kids will have a lot of questions for grandpas or dads, but they always have one question that comes out first. Where's mom? Where's grandma? <laughs> you can understand that. I mean, that's that just, that makes the home the home. That makes the place the place. Well, at the end of Matthew's version of this parable, of this uh, healing, he drops into Isaiah chapter 53, the suffering servant. And he points out that this healing ministry of Jesus, healing the centurion servant, healing the leper, healing 
this uh, mother-in-law of Peter, he ties it together and he says, this is to fulfill the, the uh, prof- prophetic word of Isaiah chapter 53. In fact, I listed, listed here Isaiah 53. This is part of it, you know. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. In Matthew's translation of it, he says he bore our diseases and he cured our illnesses. He's, he's taken the broader range of those words, pain and sorrow. And he's saying, this is to fulfill that very thing. Jesus is the one who took and takes our pain and our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. Verse 5, but he was pierced for our what? Transgression. He was crushed, why? For our iniquity. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. He took the punishment. That's the essence of the gospel, brothers and sisters. He took our place. His death was my death, but he took it for me. I have salvation. I have eternity because he took my place. He takes our sin. And it's a picture when he heals, when we answer his prayer, temporarily of what permanently is designed. We temporarily have a healing that takes a moment or two, lasts a moment or two in the big picture of things. But we've got a healing. We've got a forgiveness. We've got an atonement that lasts for eternity because of his love, because of his compassion, because of his cure for us. That's what the scripture points to. It's not just the momentary, it's the eternal. He says he was pierced for our iniquities. Punishment that brought us peace was on him. Listen to the last one. And by his wounds, we are healed. We are healed. Do you believe that today? You receive that today? Is that part of your essence? One of the things that happened uh, historically, both uh, Eusebius and um, Clement of Alexandra, this church fathers, write about the martyrdom of Peter. So Peter, when he gave his life in faith for Christ, they captured his wife and as it was related, they made Peter watch his wife be crucified, be killed before they killed him. Yeah. And as she walked past him, he was in, in, in a cell. As she walked past him, he said, remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. The one that healed your mother, the one that took her fever away, he's going to take your sins away. He is already your savior. She died first, he died second, but they both gave their lives, and were healed. You get that? Ultimately, healing took place as they were martyred together. Ultimately, for us, the temporariness of healing turns into the glorious eternity of being healed forever. God wants to lift us out of our stricken state He wants to lift us out of our iniquity and let all of us know how loved 
we are by him. Let me just call the team up to, to close us off, and let me just lead us in a prayer that kind of relates some of these elements of this healing. Would you stand together, please? Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, this beautiful story, this beautiful historic rendition of your son Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law. Lord, as we think about that today, I'm just thinking with our folks here, is there a need in our lives that you want to bring to the forefront? Father, is there somebody that we need to tell you about like they told Jesus about her mother? Father, you uh, point out that Jesus saw her in a unique way. Is there something that we need to see today? Is there someone we need to be sensitive to today? Are we to see hidden things that you want to point out to us? Lord, show us that today. Show us the need. Lord, it says it, she, he took her by the hand. She means she had to open up her hand. Lord, is there something you're calling on us to do to let go, to release, to open up our lives to you in a unique and special way today? Bible says, Lord, that you lifted her up. Lord, is there something today that we need to let you lift up in our lives this very moment? The Bible says that she jumped up and served. Lord, I'm just wondering if you're calling any of us to gratitude of service in a unique way today. Would you apply those things, Lord, to our hearts, to our lives? based on this today. We just want to thank you for Jesus who took our disease, who took our pain, who takes our suffering, and who's, by whose wounds we are healed. We declare that and love you for that today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 